Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is January 24th, 2024, and I'm your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Don't Worry, Be Happy, The Safety of Nitroglycerin Administration in Right Ventricular Myocardial Infarctions. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Rapinder Sashi. He is a fellow EBM geek with an academic appointment at McMaster University and Wright State University. He works as an emergency physician in Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. He is also an assistant medical director of an EMS system at the Center for Paramedic Education and Research in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. So good to be doing a show with you, finally, my friend. We managed to get things to align. Uh, thanks for inviting me into the studio, Ken. I uh, I really like what you've done with the place, but I've I've got to ask in in the corner over there is is that a marble bust of Doctor Andrew Worcester? I have very very many nerdy, geeky Marvel DC things. Yes. So you're putting him in the superhero category as well. He is one of my EBM mentors and a superhero in my eyes for sure. Fantastic, but. That's a nice segue because, you know, Andrew Worcester started the best evidence in emergency medicine or BEAM, and that's where we met back in the BEAM days. Yep. That was, uh, that feels like a forever ago, but yeah, we, uh, we got involved with, uh, evidence-based medicine through the BEAM program. Uh, Andrew was one of the founders with myself and a couple of others. And when we founded BEAM, that was kind of our way of keeping an eye on the emerging medical literature to find the high yield, high quality evidence that we could try to get into the hands of practicing emergency physicians. And for anyone who listens to this podcast, uh, that should sound very familiar. <laughs> very familiar. I, I, I think of the Skeptic's Guide as a logical extension of the BEAM stuff we did. And I love how it continues that mission of accelerating the knowledge translation pipeline by bringing that kind of valuable information out to a wider audience. Oh, Yes. I'm on a mission, a mission of science. <laughs> you are indeed the courteous man alive. Um, I've, I've worn a few other hats over the years since you and I have uh, hung out with Beam, uh, but it was in my pre-hospital role that I came across the paper that we're going to talk about today. At the base hospital where I work, we do a quarterly Q&A segment on Facebook Live where paramedics in our region will send in questions for our medical counsel to answer. And someone submitted a question asking about the evidence behind the customary teaching that you should avoid giving nitrates to patients if you suspect they're having a right-sided MI. And that's when the systematic review turned up on my radar and I passed it on to you as soon as I got it. Oh, I love it when a plan comes together. Yes, there'll always be 80s quotes in every one of these episodes. All right, so give us a case that we can frame this whole episode around. Okay, so you were an advanced care paramedic dispatched to the scene of a 53-year-old female with chest pain she developed retrosternal chest discomfort shortly after she came in from using her snowblower. You provide her with a couple of tablets of ASA to chew while your partner acquires an ECG, and that ECG ultimately shows clear ST elevation in the inferior leads and some ST changes in V1, V2 that make you wonder if your patient might be having uh, an acute MI with right-sided involvement. Your patient rates their pain as an 8 out of 10 and looks visibly uncomfortable. Do you give nitroglycerin? Yeah, that's a great case setup because I'm sure there are many people listening that have heard that caution. <gasps> Don't give nitrates in an acute MI. 
if they have right ventricular involvement. Absolutely. What is that really based upon? As is often the case, when you go back to the primary literature, you discover we are standing on pillars of salt and sand. The evidence for this recommendation is a single observational study with an N of 40 published back in 1989. It's, it's amazing. Yet the findings in those 40 patients... Uh, with subsequent literature that has quoted this paper as well. This went on to be the evidence that's commonly cited by the American Heart Association and the European Society of Cardiology in their recommendations against the use of nitrates in acute MI if there's right ventricular involvement. And as is often the case, these guidelines transition into guidelines. Thou shalt not give nitrates. Now, the pathophysiologic rationale was that nitrates would cause vasodilation and thus reduce right ventricular preload, decreasing left and diastolic volume, and ultimately resulting in clinically important hypotension. Now, many times, pathophysiology has been used to explain things in medicine, only to be discovered later that the body is much more complicated than we thought. Now, that 40-patient study by Ferguson et al. that we were talking about, it did, in fact, show a statistically significant increased likelihood of hypotension in right ventricular MI patients, so RVMI patients, who received nitrates. But the study design was just plain weird. I, I don't want to turn this into a methodology talk, but listen to this. This study that we're talking about, the, 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 the one that informs the guidelines, this is a retrospective observational trial that looked at 40 patients with inferior MIs. 20 of them had hypotension after nitrates, and 20 of them were not hypotensive. They looked back and saw that a higher proportion of patients with inferior MIs and hypotension had ECG evidence of right ventricular involvement. I mean, that sounds okay on the surface, but what they did was they had equal numbers of hypotensive and non-hypotensive patients in their cohort. That exaggerates the incidence of hypotension because it makes it sound like it's 50-50 when it's not. If you look at the literature, in all comers with MI, the rate of adverse effects from nitrate administration was probably close to 3%, not 50 On top of that, that study had no standardization of the nitrate dose or the route of administration. So it's really hard to know how to extrapolate those findings into our standard nitrate admin protocols, yet there they are in the guidelines. Yeah, I'm getting to the stage in my life where it's just, okay, boomer, hey, you kids, get off my lawn. I mean, I was not surprised by finding this out. Fanaroff et al. looked at the ACC AHA guidelines from a decade worth of information. So from 2008 to 2018, they looked at all the recommendations contained within those guidelines. And they found 26 guidelines with almost 3,000 recommendations. But less than 10%, only 9%, were level A recommendations, so high level of evidence. Whereas 50% were level B and 41% were level C. So the vast majority of the evidence in these clinical guidelines and recommendations, they're not based on high level of evidence. But you, you compare that previously mentioned 40 patient study to a much larger study. There's a 2016 Canadian study by Robichaud et al., which was 22 times larger than that Ferguson study. It had an N of over a thousand. 
It looked at the administration of a standardized dose of nitroglycerin in MI patients with various vascular territories involved, and it showed no statistical difference in adverse events between patients with and without RVMI. For nitro administration, the relative risk was something like 1.02 with these massive confidence intervals, basically saying that it's a wash. Yeah, it seems like I've picked the right nerd or geek to be the skeptic on this episode. I prefer the term intellectual badass. Okay, I will continue to now refer to you as the intellectual badass. I want that on my business card. <laughs> People can see the image I'm looking at right now with your ex like just beautiful mustache, they would all agree. Well, well, thank you. It costs me a lot in mustache wax, but it's worth the uh, it's worth the effort. And and you can twirl it like like a like like a super villain, can't you? Or like an old fashioned villain, like the twirling mustache villain. I I have been referred to as a super villain in other other instances. Yes. Well, we are all the villain in somebody's story. Okay, what's the clinical question we're trying to address today? Okay, getting away from mustache wax is nitrate administration to patients with right ventricular myocardial infarction associated with increased adverse events when compared to nitrate administration to patients with MIs only in other regions. Okay, so what was the reference, uh, that systematic review and meta-analysis that came across your desk that speaks to this issue? So it's a systematic review and meta-analysis by Wilkinson Stokes et al. And it's titled, oddly enough, Adverse Events from Nitrate Administration During Right Ventricular Myocardial Infarction, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. This was in the EMJ published in 2022, and uh, I think it appeared in print at the beginning of 2023. All right, let's go through the PICO. What was the population they were looking at? So they looked at adult patients diagnosed with acute MI. And then they had some exclusions. Any patients with coronary vasospasm were specifically excluded. This is because nitrates are an effective primary treatment for coronary vasospasm, and inclusion of these patients may skew results towards finding of increased nitrate safety. How about the exposure? We're looking at patients who received nitrates in any dose and by any route. And in comparison... The comparison was patients with acute right-sided MI uh, compared to patients with acute MI involving pretty much any other anatomic distribution. All right, let's run through the outcome. What was the primary outcome of interest? They were interested in looking at all forms of adverse outcomes reported in the primary literature. Yeah, and the primary meta-analysis excluded studies of low quality, but a secondary analysis was also performed, including identified studies that were deemed of lower methodologic quality. So this is a systematic review and meta-analysis based on some of the other papers that have been published on the subject. All right. So the author's conclusions were, quote, This review suggests that the American Heart Association and European Society of Cardiology contradiction, stating that nitrates are contraindicated in right ventricular myocardial infarctions, are not supported by evidence. Key limitations include all studies having concomitant inferior and right ventricular myocardial infarction, no evaluation of beneficial effects in any of the studies, and very low certainty of evidence. As adverse events such as hypotension are transient and easily managed, nitrates are a reasonable treatment modality to consider during a right ventricular myocardial infarction on current evidence. End of quote. Oh, that's a long conclusion. It's, I don't think it would fit even in a 280 character tweet. 
Uh, Are we calling them something else now that uh, that it's been uh, rebranded as X? Post, yeah. X post. The the site formerly known as Twitter. Exactly. All right. Let's go through the quality checklist for therapeutic systematic reviews. The first question, the clinical question, is it sensible and answerable? I'd say so. Do you think the search for the studies was detailed and exhaustive? I'm exhausted just thinking about it, but I'd say yes, but it was limited to the English language publications only. And uh, their research librarians actually had trouble finding three studies that they had identified. Research librarians had trouble finding it, which means I would not find it because they are amazing people. Basically, if they can't find it, it doesn't exist. As far as I'm I would always recommend if you're about to conduct some kind of research, and certainly if you're doing a systematic review, get a research librarian on board. They are fantastic. All right. The primary studies where they have high methodologic quality. And I'm going to say no. Uh, these were all observational studies. We have no randomized control trials. Uh, they went back and assessed the papers using the grade criteria to show that the evidence in this systematic review and medical meta-analysis is considered low certainty. The outcome of studies were reproducible? Yes, they were. Do you think the outcome of interest, do you think it was clinically relevant? That's tricky because a lot of the time when they're looking at the adverse effects of nitrates, they're looking at hypotension and hypotension. They defined it by these quantified numeric thresholds, but they didn't really look at relevant stuff that's of, you know, of relevance to the patient, like hypotension associated symptoms, the duration of the hypotension and how quickly the hypotension could be reversed. So these were do's or disease-oriented outcomes or moo's monitor-oriented outcome because the blood pressure was low on the monitor, but not necessarily poo, a patient-oriented outcome, correct? Yeah, I'm sure if you spoke with the patient, the outcome they'd be primarily concerned with, in addition, of course, to the outcome of their MI, would probably be the control of the discomfort they were in. And it's that's not discussed at all. Sixth question, was there low statistical heterogeneity for the primary outcome? Yeah, there were some slight differences in the definition of the primary outcome, but those slight differences are unlikely to bias the overall analysis, which was pretty good. And the seventh and final question, the treatment effect, was it large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? (laughs) No, they didn't find any significant harm based on what limited data they had available. All right, let's go through their results. Their search produced five studies that met inclusion criteria. Only two of the studies used nitroglycerin at 400 microgram sublingual as their treatment and could be meta-analyzed. One was a small study of 46 patients, McConnell et al., done in the UK with 19 patients having a right ventricular myocardial infarct. The other larger Canadian study had over a thousand patients. That was the one you referred to earlier by Robichaux et al. Yet it only included 86 patients with right ventricular myocardial infarctions in the cohort. It gives you an idea of the rarity of what we're dealing with. All right. So why don't you give us the key result? The key result, the key takeaway I got from this was that there was no statistical difference in adverse events with administration of nitrates based on the region of cardiac infarction. All right, let's uh, put a little bit of numbers on that. How about the primary outcome, the meta-analysis of the two studies? They didn't find a statistical difference in adverse events rates compared to inferior or right ventricular MIs. So what was the actual relative risk? 
the relative risk in the meta-analysis was somewhere in the range, somewhere around 1.31. But again, we're talking about big confidence intervals. Your 95% confidence interval went somewhere between 0.81 to 2.12, which is big, which basically says that there probably isn't much in the way of an increased relative risk. Yeah, and there wasn't any statistical significance. And when it came to adverse events, they were reported and categorized as minor and were transient. I think that's where a lot of the uh, the, the strength of this meta-analysis comes from, is that even if there is hypotension, it's usually very limited and very easily treated. So it sounds like we're making a big deal over very little. Well, let's make a big deal about talking nerdy because you know... I love talking nerdy, and I've been looking forward to talking nerdy with you, Rupee, for a very long time. So the floor is yours. Please start talking nerdy. Well, I, I remember going back to Beam, and we uh, often did uh, one of my favorite lectures was on the myths and dogma of wound care. I think you got a chance to do that one a few times as well. And it's amazing that, you know, when we get our medical education, we're expected to consolidate these huge amounts of information in a very short amount of time. So we don't really get the chance to critically examine every single assumption we're given, which is why I like papers like this. You know, we've got this dogmatic admonition against nitrate administration in these patients who might be experiencing a right ventricular MI. I certainly remember getting that drilled into my head in residency. There's that fear that you mentioned where decreasing the preload to an already impaired right ventricle is going to go on to reduce the patient's end diastolic volume and hypotension and malperfusion and general badness. And sometimes, and we see this in the pre-hospital uh, uh, sphere of things, that warning gets extended to being careful around any patients showing signs of inferior ischemia on a 12-lead ECG because the RV might be involved. I mean, that's when posterior leads and stuff would be nice, but not always practical when you're on the move. So you see paramedics and emergency physicians, and they get an ECG with inferior ST ischemia, and, and they get freaked out about giving nitrates. Just because something might make some sort of pathophysiologic sense doesn't always mean it turns out to be true when it's tested. The nerdy point number two is pillars of salt and sand. The systematic review meta-analysis authors point out that the, quote, don't give nitrates in right ventricular MI patients, quote, recommendation seems to stem from this study of 40 patients by Ferguson et al. back in 1989. This retrospective study looked at 20 patients with inferior MIs and hypotension after getting nitrates and 20 patients with inferior MIs who weren't hypotensive after receiving nitrate therapy. Now, 15 out of the 20 patients in the first hypotensive group had ECG evidence of right ventricular involvement, and only two out of the 20 patients in the non-hypotensive group had ECG evidence of right ventricular involvement. As is often the case, when you go back to that primary literature that informs the guideline recommendations, you discover it's not high-level evidence. Of the papers that they included in this systematic review, the most compelling one has got to be that big one from Robichaud et al. That's the one that has the N of over a thousand patients that were looked at. It looks specifically at the administration of 400 microgram doses of sublingual nitroglycerin in MI patients that they categorize as either inferior MI, inferior plus RV MI, inferior plus other territory, and MIs involving only non-inferior, non-RV MI territory. So it was fairly exhaustive. What that paper showed is that there was no increased risk to any of those subgroups when given nitrates. 
oddly enough, we talked earlier about how some people get weirded out with isolated inferior MIs that might have RV extension. That paper showed that nitrate administration seemed to be safest in patients who were experiencing an isolated inferior MI. What a great cautionary tale about subgroup analyses, because people find these subgroup analyses and like, look at this one subgroup. It must be true. And they usually are talking about benefit or harm or something like that. And in this case, it went against their hypothesis in the actual subgroup that they were worried about. It seemed to be safest in patients experiencing an isolated inferior MI. Yeah, definitely unexpected. So when Robichaux et al. data was analyzed to look specifically at right ventricular MI versus non-right ventricular MI, the relative risk was 1.02. So basically, yeah, no meaningful difference. Furthermore, the discussion in this systematic review points out that the definition of hypotension, a systolic blood pressure of less than 90 millimeters of mercury, doesn't consider that hypotension is often transient and easily managed, and as such, unlikely to be clinically meaningful in the first place. Yeah, we talked about the Robichaux paper. The other paper that was part of this meta-analysis was the smaller piece by McConnell et al. in 2017. When I went to go look up that paper, I discovered it was actually an abstract that was presented at a conference. The uh, authors of the systematic review were at, they were able to contact the study team. They got their hands on the original study data and incorporate that into their meta-analysis. Now, when you peek at the meta-analysis, they've got their, you know, forest plots on the uh, on the paper. I'm not entirely sure why the McConnell paper weighed so heavily in their final analysis when it had such a tiny sample size. It, it, it's apparently, according to them, a function of weighted relative risk calculations and a random effects model, but that's a lot of big words that I'll probably need somebody like Andrew Worcester to explain to me. For me, I give a little more psychological weight to that Robichaux paper just because that N is so big. But either way, the two papers have congruent findings of no increased risk giving nitrates to RVMI patients. Yeah, and the other reason they may have meta-analyzed those papers is because if they didn't include McConnell, there wouldn't be a meta-analysis. They only have Robichaux. So um, it's hard to meta-analyze only one paper. It'd really be easy to write, though. Yeah, it's easier to write the meta-analysis if there isn't a meta-analysis. Yeah. All right. So number five. Yes, there are five points. Um, this is about the benefits. None of the studies included in the systematic review looked at the benefits of nitrate administration, and that includes analgesia and reduced sympathetic activation, and balanced against the risk of transient hypotension. That is only looking at one side of the coin. We know that any intervention will have potential benefits and potential harms. And it's really difficult to know the clinical impact when you're only considering one aspect of the treatment. We do know that nitrate administration doesn't appreciably affect morbidity and mortality in acute MIs, but its provision still has some potential benefits worth considering, especially when you talk to a patient who's like giving you a Levine sign with that crushing chest pain and, and is looking for some <clears throat> sort of symptomatic relief. Oh, the drama. Very dramatic. It's an oral show, so you've got you to be able to sell it here. You're doing a great job. <laughs> That's enough nerdy talk. Um, it's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. The, the, this should surprise absolutely nobody listening, but we generally agree with the author's conclusions. 
Rupee, give me a bottom line. Don't be afraid to give nitrates to patients with RVMI. However, be prepared to manage transient hypotension in any patient you're giving nitrates. So it's sort of like the anti-B-movie caution. Be afraid. Be very afraid. But in this case, it's don't be afraid. And don't even be very afraid. Don't worry. Be happy. Oh, I like how you brought that back in. Okay, give us a case resolution. So this is back to that case with the uh, the 53-year-old in the back of the ambulance. The patient was clearly in discomfort, and nitroglycerin may help to ease their symptoms. And though you as a paramedic recognize the historical cause for caution when administering nitrates to a patient with suspected RVMI, the best evidence says that doing so is no more dangerous than giving it to any other patient with an MI. Hypotension is a possibility no matter what cardiac territory is involved. And as we've said, it's usually transient and easily managed. So you make sure that as a paramedic, you start an IV line before giving that first dose, just just in case you need it. So how are you going to clinically apply this new systematic review and meta-analysis into your practice? Well, the overall level of evidence, and we talked about the grade criteria earlier, the, the, the level of evidence is fairly low. So the authors recommend that the AHA and the European guidelines be revised rather than contradicting nitrates and RVMI, maybe discussing a degree of caution while giving uh, nitrates, but not outlawing them entirely. We can echo that position as a reasonable step in the right direction. Oh, the right direction. Oh, I see what you did there. Right ventricular MIs. Very well played, sir. All right. So um, what are you going to tell the patient? So I, I would let them know that this nitroglycerin spray might help to ease some of your chest discomfort, but there's always the risk that it could drop your blood pressure too. So we'll be watching your vital signs on the monitor and we have this IV set up in case your blood pressure drops too low. I would also tell my EMS partner that if their blood pressure drops, do what Bobby McFerrin says. It will soon pass, whatever it is. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> All right, so it's time for the Keener Contest. Last week's winner was... No winner. Really? The question we had was, who first described using a mechanical device to provide artificial ventilation to a human? Now, we did have a number of people submit an answer, but the answer that Dr. Chris Root was looking for was Dr. Alexander Monroe of Scotland, who recommended fitting a wooden pipe to the nostril of a patient and blowing it with a pair of bellows. And that was in the 1700s. I think that's back in the time when that term blowing smoke up your ass came, because that too was taking some uh, smoke from a fire with a bellows and actually putting it up somebody's rectum and blowing smoke up their butt. Yeah. When I learned that one, I, I can't look at bellows the same way again. Well, what's the Keener Contest question this week? Okay, so the question is, vascular smooth muscle cells relax when vascular endothelial cells release something known as the endothelium-derived relaxing factor, or EDRF. What is the active ingredient in EDRF? If you know the answer to this Keener question, then send an email to the sgem at gmail.com. The first correct answer will receive a very cool skeptical prize, which I'll be sending you, my friend, a cool skeptical prize for being my guest. Well, thanks, Ken. And um, you know what? 
if you see another paper come across your desk, please reach out. I'd love to work with you again. This has been fun. Until next time, can you give the SGEM tagline? You got it. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time. Don't worry. Be happy. Ooh, ooh, ooh.